great to be with you all this morning. In 1859, a French acrobat by the name of Charles Blondin crossed the massive Niagara Falls Gorge on nothing but a three-inch wire. Swirling waters and rocks below. He was the first one to ever attempt something like this. And so when he got to the other side, the crowd there was just thundering in applause. Just, woo, this is awesome. And then when it died down, he said, how many of you think I can do this again? And of course, they rose to their feet and they're cheering him on. And Blondin would go on to cross this wire several more times during the summer. He even crossed backwards. He crossed one time pushing a wheelbarrow. And then after flipping on the wire a couple times and coming back backwards with somersaults, and the crowd was cheering so crazy one day, he said, how many of you think I could carry a man across this wire on my back? Oh, they were so excited. Obviously, yes, you can do it. Yes, we want to see that. So then Blondin looked at the crowd and he said, all right, who will volunteer? <laughs> he looked at the guy in the front row and said, how about you? You think I can carry you across the road on my back? And the man said, I can't put my life at stake for something like this. So Blondin turned to his manager, Harry Colcord, and he said, Harry, how about you? Do you trust me? Do you believe that I can carry you across that wire on my back? And Colcord said, I do, and I will. And he stepped up on that platform, and he jumped onto Blondin's back, and immediately the two fell right over the gorge, plunged to their deaths. Just kidding. <laughs> be an awful story. He climbed on Blondin's back, and there's a few guy wires snapping and the rope is shaking, but they make it to the other side and the people are just cheering like crazy. Blondin would go on and he'd cross that wire in several ways. He'd cross it on stilts. He crossed one time cooking an omelet, stopping to eat that omelet. People said he was the greatest tightrope walker ever. But to me, it's Colcord's belief in his friend that his friend could actually carry him across that wire on his back that inspires me. That's amazing courage. That's amazing trust and surrender. When all the people were cheering and said that they believed that he could do it, only Colcord actually believed in Blondin and put his life in Blondin's hands. This is what risk-taking faith looks like. It's a kind of faith that stares death in the face to encounter real life. In the words of another high-wire walker, life is on the wire and everything else is waiting. Jesus invites us into this same death-defying encounter with life this morning. And Jesus demonstrated this exact same kind of trust when He stepped towards His Father and stepped onto that cross. And Jesus invites us to do the same thing, to, to pick up our own cross and to step towards Him with faith and follow Him to abundant life. Peter, a close friend of Jesus's, actually demonstrates to us what this step in faith towards Jesus looks like. Matthew tells us the story. It's in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus had just fed more than 5,000 people with just a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish that the disciples had been saving for their own supper. And after the supper, they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And so the crowd there is so pleased with this miracle, they want to make Jesus the king. And that's where Matthew picks up this story in verse 22. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowd. After He had dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by Himself to pray. Later that night, He was there alone. 
and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. John and Mark write about this story as well. They say the boat was about three or four miles out on the lake, and the wind and the waves were just fiercely against them when Jesus saw them. So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It's amazing. Peter walked on water. Have you ever walked on water in a storm? Closest I ever got was probably barefoot skiing. Turned my feet all purple with bruises, kind of tickled them, but then it turned them off. We're not made to walk on water, but we are made to walk with Jesus. And when we encounter his resurrected presence full of life and power, just maybe anything is possible. See, I believe this is our greatest desire is for this to be true. And maybe some of us have forgotten, or maybe some of us have grown tired. Maybe it's been a while since we've had an actual encounter with Jesus himself. And this morning, he's inviting us to get out of the boat and step towards him again, or maybe for the very first time. And I think one of the things that Jesus wants to say to us, gathered here together as one body, is church. It's time to get out of the boat. It's time to step out of the walls of your church and join me right in the stormy, broken world. Right? The church was never meant to be just a place or an institution. The church is meant to be a movement into the world. Right? It's God's people walking with Jesus to advance His light and love into the world, into the most needy, most oppressed, most broken, most divided parts of our world. The movement of the church is meant to even run right over the gates of hell which have no chance to stand against it when God's people take the risk to get out of the boat and join Jesus in the storm to transform our world and restore life. This is the moment. This is the movement that our world is desperate to see and be a part of, especially our next generations. I want to share something with you this morning that we've been learning, we've been observing And that's this, the next generation, many in the next generation, do not trust institutions. The government, big business, Wall Street, they've let this generation down, disappointed them. And to them, the church often represents just another institution. But if you ask those who are here with us in that generation, or better yet, ask those who aren't here with us this morning, and they'll tell you they are deeply interested in Jesus. They're deeply interested in spiritual matters. It's just that many of them have no affection for the church. And with all the technology and access to the world that they have, many of them would think 
that it's pretty absurd that somebody would suggest that you have to go to church to encounter God. You feel some tension here? It's like, what do we do as a church? This isn't just the next generation. It's, it's the entire church in many ways. You think about our lifestyles, our work schedules. You think about um, our travel schedules, our families spread out around the state, around the country. You think about sports, youth sports, and other opportunities for our kids. Right? It doesn't exactly accommodate the rhythm that's been established by the institution of church. So how do we continue to have influence if people don't trust or they don't attend church? How will we help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world if the next generation doesn't come to church? There's some real tension here, right? Do we, do we stay in our boat and cling to our traditions and our practices and try to protect and preserve our boat? Or do we step out of the boat into the world? What does that even mean? What does that look like? What happens when we step? There's some real uncertainty within the church, and, and I think sometimes it can feel like there's a storm that's starting to blow around us, and there's certainly raging waters all around us. We see it, right? We see terrorism. We see poison in our water. We see anger and violence because of our, our, our division with race, races and economic division. We see it even in our own families. Marriage is under attack. And we see individuals being laid off, struggling with illness or tragedy. As a church, how do we step towards this? Right? What's our next step? What happens when we step? As leaders, we don't exactly know what that next step will be for us. What we do know is that Jesus is in those waters. And He's telling us to come. So we have to have leaders who are willing to take risks themselves, step out of the boat, and personally follow and encounter Jesus. Commit to taking the next step. And as they encounter Him, and Jesus makes them brave in that encounter and gives them life, and they have a story to tell, then to take a next step and a next step and invite others into that in such a way that Jesus' life in them and through them captivates others and draws them into this same following, encountering, blessing movement that's the work of god in this world that's the very core of what god is up to in our world and the gathering has a history of inspiring people in the church to do this very thing to make a commitment to take a step for 10 years people have been doing this in 2009 we saw people uh, up on this stage brave people who brought pieces of cardboard with little mini testimonies talking about how they were going to take a step to leave behind an addiction or some destructive pattern of thought or behavior or step out into the middle of a storm to join Jesus in a broken relationship or to seek forgiveness or reconciliation. And many of you are here today and you can tell us about how you encountered Jesus after taking that step. You can tell us about the blessing He brought to you and your life and the people around you. In 2010, Todd Thomas was on this stage a year after his father was murdered. He had learned to follow Jesus from his dad. And he told us how he and his family stepped out of the boat in the middle of this storm. And they found the courage and the love and the grace to be able to forgive the young man who had killed their father, husband, the beloved coach and community leader. And we heard not only how it blessed Todd and how it blessed his family, but how it blessed the entire community. And in many ways, it reached into our whole world and at least our nation. Right, as we heard about this story of 
great forgiveness told through the, the honoring on, at the ESPYs. And a couple of years ago, a couple of women sitting right here in this service, they hear Jesus whisper in the middle of the service, get out of the boat, come, come to Waverly and, and bring Orchard Hill Church into, the, into God's movement right here in Waverly. And so they came and they did just that. And now, just as Brian and Doug mentioned, we've hired two new leaders to lead our campus forward. We're getting ready to start our second full year. Lives are being changed in Waverly because they took a step out of the boat. We've seen this in Grundy Center the last 10 years, and people continue to make a a risky step by investing in a new tool, by investing in a permanent home that will allow us to go further out into the waters of Grundy County. And help others encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. This isn't an institution. These are real people taking real steps of faith to encounter and follow Jesus and bless our world. Now let's be honest. This isn't always uh, fun. It's not always easy. In fact, it can be downright terrifying as we see in the story that we just read about Peter. See, I think Jesus knew actually that it was going to storm that night. He at least could have calmed the storm as he'd done before, but he doesn't. He sends his disciples right out into the heart of a storm. He sends them there on purpose because he wants them to discover the end of themselves and to show them again that they can trust him. Not everybody had that same bold faith in that boat that Peter had. We see some of them, they're cowering at the oars. They're, they're beaten and battered by the waves. They're exhausted. They're tired. It's nearly dawn. They've been, they've been at those oars straining all night. They're just hoping to live to see another day. They're weak. And, and now they think they're hallucinating. They think they see a ghost walking to them on the water. And they cry out, grown men crying out in fear. And yet what we see in the story is that Jesus had never taken His eyes off of them. Jesus had His eyes on them the entire time. Mark says He saw them as He prayed on the mountain. He saw them straining at the oars and He goes out to them. But instead of calming the storm, the waves keep crashing. Jesus just simply comes and says, Do not be afraid. Have courage. I am here. I know some of you have been at your wit's end like this, afraid that you're not going to make it through the night. Maybe it's been an important deadline that's been crushing you with stress. Maybe your uh, marriage or another relationship is is crumbling and falling apart or there's an illness that you or a loved one is, is battling and you're helpless. And just when you think it can't get any worse, just when you think you're about to be overturned, you look down and you discover there's a leak in your boat. So not only is water coming in from all sides, but it's coming in from underneath as well. Sometimes it's a matter of this happening throughout a life. I know I've felt this. When I first committed to following Jesus, I was at a camp when I was in high school. I came home and was excited to tell my parents and their response was, we're getting a divorce. It's like cold water right in your face. Is that supposed to happen when you commit to following Jesus? Years later, my friend dies in a tragic accident, leaves his wife and two kids behind. And again, it's like salt in the eye. It's like, Jesus, are you good? Can I trust your promises? And then raising my son, my oldest son, one night he gets angry and he walks out on us. He walks away from us and he's gone for a week. I'm just asking, Jesus, is this what we get 
for loving our son and trying to help him follow you. Where are you? Do I have to do this all by myself? And I'm just straining at the oars, just my head down, just trying to keep going. And then, just when my own relationship with my own father is starting to get good again and it's excited to, to see where that's going to go, my, my dad gets dementia. And it robs us of a relationship that will now never be. It's like one wave and then another and crashes over us and we just start getting our head down and we just stop looking. It's like, I just want to just hunker down here. I've had enough. Let me just sit here. I'm, I'm, I'm done. And we stop looking for Jesus. It's so easy to give in to the exhaustion, to give in to that fear of those ways constantly crashing over us. But we have to look. We have to look up. We have to get our eyes on Jesus. And when we look, we see Jesus sees us. Jesus is looking at us. Jesus is not only looking at us, Jesus is walking to you in the middle of your storm. He's had His eyes on you the whole time. He's present with you. Even if you've been thrown completely out of the boat and you think you're sinking, Jesus is reaching His hand out to you to rescue you. He says, here I am. Do you hear His voice? I am with you. I am present. I will make you brave. Have courage. It's not easy in these situations. Even Peter himself isn't sure that it's Jesus walking to him on the water. Doesn't recognize him at first. And even when he does, he's like, he doesn't know what his next step is. Does he step out of the boat or does he stay in the boat? But, G- but Peter had stepped out of the boat once before. When he was fishing one day and Jesus had come to him and said, Come, follow me. Peter stepped away from his family business, from all that was safe and secure, and he stepped towards Jesus. And with every step he took, he encountered more and more of the life and power of Jesus. He discovered and encountered his healing presence. He healed Peter's mother-in-law at one point. He discovered his compassion, his power. Just before he'd gotten in that boat that night, he saw Jesus heal many. He saw Jesus feed the thousands with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. But most importantly, Peter had come to know Jesus' life-shaping, deep, satisfying love for him as he had walked with Jesus. So now he's sitting in that boat and he's compelled by this love and he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. Because there's no place I would rather be right now than to be with you. There's no place I'd rather be than with my friend and my Lord and my Savior. And he eagerly steps out of that boat. He's excited to see what happens next. Four years ago, I was asked to consider uh, whether I'd be interested in stepping into Dave Bartlett's role when he retired. (laughs) No, no thank you. Nope, no way. Thanks for asking. It didn't even take me a second to think about this. I mean, who in their right mind would ever want Dave Bartlett's job? I I had no idea at the time and didn't even want to consider that it might be Jesus asking me to step out of the boat and take a step towards Him. And as long as it was a church leader, or even Dave himself that was asking, I could think of plenty of reasons to just say no. And I started thinking about this. It's like, first, his job doesn't look very much fun. I mean, it's he works all the time. Um, it's thankless work. He's the one who gets all the complaints that come in when complaints come in for the church. It's exhausting. It's a huge responsibility. Plus, I started thinking, I'm not Dave. I'm not wired the same way he is. I don't have the same gift mix that he has. I think about his wisdom, his humility, his vision. He's such a gifted community. He's a great leader. 
I'm not equipped in that same exact pass, exact package. And then I started thinking about it. even even if I was even even if I was that great of a leader like Dave right out of the box, these succession things never really go that well. I started thinking about this. I thought even though there's a good leader in, in the wings, I thought about the Iowa Hawkeyes when legendary coach Dan Gable retired. They handpick Jim Zaleski to be the coach. Jim Zaleski in nine years goes 127 and 34 in duels and wins three national titles. That's pretty good. It's not Gable good. And he's fired. This happens to other coaches all the time. It also happens in businesses and churches. Succession at the Crystal Cathedral. I was thinking about that. Robert Schuler handpicks his own son to take over when he steps down. And not two years into the transition, his own family is firing the younger Schuler. So those winds of transition are just beginning to kind of arrive on the horizon for us. And already I'm thinking there's going to be a big storm coming. And I'm convinced and I'm thinking, you know what? It's going to be better for me to just sit right here in this boat, right in my seat. Just keep rolling, keep my head down. Maybe nobody will notice, right? Stay nice and comfortable. But I was asked to pray about it. And so I did. And so this is what I was talking to Jesus about over weeks and months. And he listened. He listened really well. He kept listening to me. And then finally he spoke to me one day, not out loud, but just to my spirit. And he said, Jeff, he said, I get it. It's okay. You're afraid. You're afraid of failing. I get that. But have some courage. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I don't want you to fail either. I've never let you fail. But even if this time I wanted you to fail for your own growth, for the growth of the church, would you be willing to join me out here in the water? It's a tough question. It took me a while actually to, to answer that question. See, I wanted a guarantee of success, or at least I wanted some details of what this plan was going to look like, but God didn't give me that. In fact, God rarely does. Instead, it's when we step out. It's right when we take that step out of the boat. Because God wants to bring us to the limits of ourselves. And that's often the beginning place of unimaginable encounters with the life and power of Jesus. See, it's in our weakness. We sang about this in our new song this morning. It's in our weakness and our brokenness that we see faithful servants throughout the Bible, throughout history, encounter the presence of an Almighty God. So one night when all this was going on and I'm walking through this and I've been praying to Jesus, I go to a basic worship event, college weekly event right here in Lang Hall. And uh, I picked up a verse that was on a table that they had put out and it was actually a scripture passage from Peter. It was from 1 Peter 2.9 and it said this, it says, You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And I read it again. And I read it again. And one word just kept jumping off the page at me as I read it over and over. Chosen. You are chosen. And I tried to push it aside because I thought, well, that sounds a little arrogant. You are the chosen one. But God just kept bringing it. Wouldn't let it go. So I asked. I said, Jesus, is that you? If it is, tell me to come. And I committed that night to step out of the boat and take a step towards Him and say I'd be willing to consider 
a leadership position in Orchard Hill Church. Amazingly, it was soon after this that God revealed a new part of the plan that there wouldn't be just one senior leader, but there would be three. And I can't tell you how encouraging and reassuring that was to me. But the truth is that I want you to hear is that this is all of us here this morning. Right? If you can hear my voice, God is saying to each one of you, you are chosen. You might not believe this. You might have forgotten. You might not know what you're chosen for. But Jesus is inviting you to step out of the boat, take a risky step in faith, and discover what it is He's chosen you for. See, the church becomes a movement when people who are compelled by their own personal encounters with Christ in life and in the storms in their lives, people in Jesus' church step out of the boat and invite others to step out of the boat with them. It's like the dad who called me uh, last week. He's been coming to Orchard Hill Church for quite a few years and he's, and he's been growing in his faith as he's been involved. And he says to me, Jeff, I, 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 need, to, I need to go help other dads and sons in my town to, to, to encounter Jesus, to know who Jesus is, to follow Jesus. He says, what do I do? What do you recommend? How do I do it? He's taking a next step. He's committed to starting a small group in his town where people can encounter and follow Jesus. Or it's like the two friends I have. They, uh, they went to Haiti. It's a pretty big step. And they come back, and their lives are kind of wrecked because now they know <laughs> they've had this encounter, and we've got to take another step. And they're trying to figure out what it is, and so they grab another friend of theirs in their community who they coach football with, and they say, what do we do? They say, well, let's start a group, and let's try to figure this out. And now as they've been meeting as a group, they're saying, you know what? We've got to take this to the players on our team and to their parents and to their families, and we've got to help them encounter and follow Jesus where life is found. See, this is what the movement looks like when coaches and moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas and students and young people and doctors and lawyers and business leaders, employees, laborers, right, when they have this encounter with Jesus and they join Him right in the middle of life or the middle of storms that are raging in their own offices, that are present in their own homes, in their own classrooms, all around them in their neighborhoods and communities. And they help others to encounter Jesus. And then Jesus brings life and restoration right where they are. This is how a movement moves. Some of you know you have a step to take. Some of you know exactly what that step is. The whole time I've been talking, you've been thinking about what step it is that you need to take. Some of you don't know. You're more like Peter, like myself, and you're, you need to ask. Will you do like Peter? Will you commit to asking Jesus, what's my next step? And then will you prepare yourself so that you are ready when Jesus says, come to step out of the boat and walk towards Him? And when you step towards Him, will you give Him the credit? Will you give Him the praise when He brings light and life to the world around you? I want to ask Dave Bartlett to join me on stage. Uh, No one knows or is more familiar with what it's like to be in a storm or to step out of the boat or knocked out of the boat in the middle of a storm than Dave and his family. And I do want to say one thing about this is that there are different kinds of storms. There are those storms that Jesus sends us into intentionally to grow us. And then there are other storms that arise sometimes because we live in a broken world. And those first storms often help us prepare for the other storms. 
And there's a lot of comparisons. There's a lot of similarities between these two storms. One thing is that a lot of times the waves just keep crashing in, even when it seems like the storm has subsided or other people think it's over. Dave, I know we talked last year. You were here. You're in the middle of a storm. The waves continue to crash around you guys. You're still in that storm. Can you kind of update us on how your family's doing? I was thinking last year we said uh, you stand on the rock of Jesus and build your house on the rock. And now this year we're saying, get out, Peter, get out of the boat. Let's get out of the boat, walk on the water. The only reason he could walk on the water is because actually he was standing on the rock. He actually knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus was right there. So then he can take what feels like a huge risk and walk on the water. So we had taken risks. We were stepping out of the boat, and then this huge storm came. And uh, the reason we wanted to talk about it again is because so many of these folks still are in storms. Right. And the waves just come. They wash and wash. And it doesn't stop, right? It doesn't stop. Uh, Thursday, we uh, had the first day of school here in Cedar Falls. And uh, we were walking Kaya to school with her cousins instead of with her brothers and sister. Hmm. And uh, no Charlie and Bailey to walk to Orchard Hill School. Uh, and then you walk home alone, and you remember what it could have been, what it could, what it would have been. And uh, then uh, yesterday was would have been Charlie's thirteenth birthday, and he would have been a Pete. And uh, it's not to be, right? The storm just took him. Uh, last night uh, we had a birthday cake and some candles, and we sang happy birthday to Charlie, who's now in heaven. And uh, we looked at each other and we thought. This was not the plan. Uh, just just tough. Grief, just waves. waves of sorrow just continue. waves. They just keep coming. Uh, I talked to a guy this week, uh, Bob Cleveringa, who's a friend of a lot of ours, and uh, he said 43 years ago he buried his dad. A month or so ago he buried his mom. And he said when he buried his mom, he felt all the feelings of 43 years ago with his dad. And he said, you know what, Dave, 43 years later he's been gone, and I'd still like to tell him about his grandchildren and about my children. So these waves, they just keep coming. But there comes a point where we're in the storm, just like the disciples, just like our family, and Jesus still calls us, hey, step out of the boat. Hey, take that next step. So you're in that storm, and it didn't call, he didn't call him the storm yet. How have you seen Jesus' presence yeah. uh, around you? Yeah, yeah, because just like in the story, we're looking. Jesus, are you present? God, are you real? And uh, we saw it through the hands and feet of people who have encouraged us all year long, and we would just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, you are actually his, the hands and feet of God. You actually are. Uh, and, uh, the Bible says, an ever-present help in trouble. And where does that help come from? It comes from the Spirit of God in us, but it doesn't stop there. It comes from hands and feet of Jesus. And then it comes from blessings that he actually puts in your life that are like uh, incredible blessings even in the midst of the storm. There's a lot of people, as you mentioned, still in storms themselves right now. Yep. There's ones coming. What do you say to encourage them? Yeah, I say over and over again, uh, Jesus is in your storm with you. Look again for him. Look again for him. He's there. And just like Aaron and I and Linda, we had trouble for quite a, quite a while to even you know, find the presence of Jesus. But he's there in the storm. And so if you're not feeling him or sensing him, look again, look again. And... Uh, then once you've looked and you've spotted him in the storm, then kind of listen like you're saying. Because he might say, come, here's something I want you to do for me, even though your life is still a storm. 
We talked a little bit about church as a movement and uh, yeah. moving into the next generation. In many ways, this has been who we've been uh, ever since our beginning as a church. But how do you see that? What are some of the next steps? How do you see Orchard participating in that movement as we go forward? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're right. The next generation, they want to be on the move. They want a church that doesn't just meet. It's not just a place. You're... you're dead on on that and so uh, one of the good things about Orchard is um, we've not been that church that just meets in a building you know one of our first initiatives was to come and start a ministry at UNI 30 years ago we've had a constant ministry at UNI for 30 years and we've been coming here to campus and uh, then we had this since 10 years ago come to Waverly and uh, then 2 years ago come to Waverly Uh, no Grundy 10 years ago meet in a theater and uh and then the sense, hey, let's build a building to go deeper, like you said, and then Waverly. So, but I think it can't just be the organization. It has to be the people. Right. Church is nothing more than the sum of its people. So we have to be people stepping out of the boat. So there's all kinds of risk-taking steps people can take to join yeah. us in this yeah. journey. But do you have some, any specific things you would like to challenge the people who are here this morning? Yeah. I want to step back and say one more movement that I want to affirm is this idea of Orchard moving to three leaders. Um, I don't know another church in the Midwest, in Iowa, anywhere that's trying this. And um, we're trying it because we believe it could be God's way. The way, not just for us, but the wave of the future. Like one, one leader in char- uh, leading a church board and staff, it's a tough deal. And no matter who it is, there, you, we fall short. Uh, we don't have all the gifts, and so I affirm this, and I really affirm the job you three leaders have done and continue to do uh, as you lead uh, Orchard forward. Um, so I would say uh, I'm trying to uh, ask God what's the next step for me, and I would like that for all of these good folks, and if you're a college student, what might I do? What might I do in the dorm, on the team, in my class? Uh, teacher, coach, whatever. What might I do? What would be that next step? Uh, we're not going to prescribe it, right. but if you take, God will right. whisper. Right. There's mystery in stepping out. There's so mystery. That's what faith is all about. So, so some of you know uh, this exactly what it is. As I said, you know what this next step is. Um, maybe it's um, stepping towards uh, somebody where you need forgiveness or you need to bring some forgiveness because it's somebody who's hurt you or maybe it's stepping uh, back into a, a troubled relationship uh, in your marriage and you need to step back towards your spouse. Um, maybe it's just taking a step, to a risky step to say, you know, I need some community around me. I need to build some relationships with some other people and you need to take a step like that towards joining a small group or being part of the movement in the church. We want to give you some time right now to think about this step. And if you know it, to write it down. Inside your bulletin, there's a card. And we think it's really important that you write this down and you sign it and you put a date on it and you make an actual commitment today to take this next step. It's really important that you do that. Not everybody has a pencil. We know that. So some of you will simply be thinking it during this time and then go home and write it down. And let me say something. This kind of commitment that you make and you sign off on, it's it's actually a pretty big deal. Here's uh, one I found Friday afternoon uh, next to uh, Charlie's bed. He actually signed this at the gathering August 31st, 2012. It's been hanging by a nail beside his bed for four years and it was a time I remember you sitting right up there 
And kids, listen. This is not just for adults. Kids, listen. Sometimes God wants even kids, coaches, teachers, politicians, to sign and say, hey, here's what I'm going to do for you. And then nail it beside the bed or put it on the refrigerator. So, And then it, it becomes part of who you are. Yeah. And so I told Aaron, first I got permission to take this down and bring it here. And then I said, as soon as the service is over, I'll be going back and nailing it back on Charlie's wall because it's a part of who he was. It's amazing because you make that commitment for yourself for the follow-through, but it still brings encouragement to you. Oh, God! So for other people, you don't even realize how much encouragement it brings to other people around you. Yeah. If you don't know what your step is, we encourage you to be like Peter and ask, would you commit to asking Jesus, what is my next step? Would you write down, I'm going to commit to pray. Maybe you need to commit to pray about something specific. You've been thinking it's something that God's been speaking to you in some way. Would you commit to just praying about that, asking Jesus to make that clear in your life? Maybe you've been out already on the water and you're walking on the water and you're kind of taking your eyes off because you're starting to see some waves and you've lost focus. Or maybe you're in the middle of a storm. Would you commit to looking up again, to looking for Jesus, maybe even surrounding yourself with some friends or finding a spiritual coach or mentor who can join you and help you in that search? I know our church is, welcomes you and we'd love to be a part of that with you if we can. We'll give you a little bit of time now to, to make that commitment and then we'll continue in worship. Make me breathe. 
Jesus doesn't let him sink. He reaches out and he rescues Peter and he walks him right back to the boat and they sit down in that boat together. And then, then the winds die down. Jesus eventually promises to calm the storm. But the winds die down and everybody in that boat bowed down and they worshiped Jesus and said, truly, you are the Son of God. I think that would be a very appropriate response at this time is for us to stand and join these men in worship. <laughs> 